0: More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. Last week, we looked at the main points uh, what Paul was kind of revealing to us. We flipped those lights on. Um, and uh, last week, the three things that we saw were that some live as walking, active enemies of the cross of Christ, if you remember that. Um, uh, that they were active enemies to the cross of Christ. And he laid out there um, the different categories for that. And, and we see that that's a very common thing that we would see in our day. Um, um, and then the second thing is believers are citizens living in exile. He said that we're, we're citizens of heaven um, awaiting our Savior. And the third thing that Paul brought up there was um, Christ will transform our bodies into resurrected, imperishable bodies. So we spent just a little bit of time on that. Um, and then this week we're going to see um, fl- flowing out of that, because of those things, Paul's going to make this, this beautiful push for rejoicing in the Lord and the unity we have in Christ um, and the, the joy that we can have there. Being of the same mind, having unity that he's talked about throughout the book, this unity in Christ that we could have. And so we're going to see that. Um, I think I've got a slide there. The first thing we're going to see this week, just the main points is, number one, be of the same mind with unity in Christ. And then secondly, uh, he's going to say, rejoice because the Lord is present. And then third, we have the peace of God being available, so pray. And then the God of peace, number four, is enjoyable, so live this way. And so we're going to see that in these um, verses here in 1 through 9 of chapter 4. If you want to turn there in your device, and we'll have the um, um, slides up there with those scriptures too. So he says there in verse 4, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat... Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So, Father, we thank you that in this last phrase here, the God of peace will be with you. We thank you that that is so true, and there are so many factors, Lord, that we could go through in a week, and and our minds would try to throw up reasons why we can't have peace. Our minds would throw up reasons why we can't have unity. Our minds would throw up reasons why we couldn't have joy. There are circumstances in our world today um, from our local community to our own nation to um, the wars going on throughout the world to where it looks like there is no way there could be peace. It looks like there is no way that there could be unity among the saints. And it looks like that there is no way that there could be true joy in a world that's so broken and fallen. And so, Lord, you speak over that. You um, are the sovereign king. Um, We are citizens of heaven, and so we have the opportunity in the middle of brokenness, in the middle of darkness, to live as exiles, living as if our God reigns, living as if our king truly rules all things. And so, Father, would you help us to have a mindset shift to where we do pray, where we do rest with thankfulness in your sovereignty. We pray for those places across the world from um, from Russia and, and Ukraine, um, and the wars going on there, the loss of life, the families that are just being torn apart. Um, we pray for um, the Israelis and the Palestinians, Lord, um, all four of those groups um, needing Christ. They need the peace of God, and they need the God of peace. We pray for the atrocities, and the fearful things that are going on over there, um, so many um, that 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 do not know you, so many believers that are caught in the middle of um, just a, a difficult time of not knowing where food, water, um, shelter, safety, um, where their families are, um, Lord, we, we pray for you to bring an amazing peace. Um, Father, we pray as many are concerned about this being the very end of the end times, um, We pray that you would allow us to have um, a type of peace to those people around us to to be able to see that we have a rest and a hope because we are citizens of heaven, citizens of the the coming kingdom. We pray for um, those around us in our local communities, our own nation as we're going into a political time. We pray that you would allow us to be a faithful gospel presence, um, not attacking and fighting as the world does, but to show that we have a peace and a comfort in you. We thank you that you are sovereign over these things, and as we we pray about um, this um, section, talking about prayer, we pray that you would help us to practice it, as Paul instructs here. In your name we pray, amen. We are going to see here in this first thing, that the the first point that I have there is be of the same mind, Um, just having unity in Christ. And immediately we know that he goes into Euodia and Syntyche. Um, these two women, but but he goes into this flowing out of what he had just talked about. Um, and so he says, therefore, my brothers whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm, thus in the Lord my beloved. So you see an intimacy there. If you're a brother or sister in Christ and you had people in your own body or in your own family um and they were they were broken. They were um, going through difficult times. You, you'd have a heart wanting to bring them together. And so Paul has this because he wants to see unity. He wants to see love. He wants to see this peace and this joy that he talks about from God. But he wants them to know that that is available to them. So So you see the intimacy, the love. Um, the care and, and he's thankful of them. If you remember, the Philippian church was kind of the poorer church. When he was in different places, the Philippians sent financial support. So he's he's going. I can't send you financial support. I'm tied up in chains right now, but what I do have is my words from God. Uh, I have the gospel to remind you of the gospel. And so because of my love for you, because of my care for you as brothers and sisters, um, you're you're a true joy and a crown. As if if he's saying, you, uh, one day God will reward me because of your godliness. Um, You're like a crown that a, a runner receives at the end of the race. And he says, stand firm. And what he's saying there in that idea of stand firm is be immovable. Remember, he had just talked about the the aspect of the enemies of the cross of Christ. So he's definitely saying, stand firm. Do not fall into the category of those people that are enemies of the cross of Christ. But instead, um, stand firm in your faith, your commitment to God, your faithfulness to God. Stand against temptations to be worldly. Stand against temptations for disunity. And so he goes right into that, that idea of this situation that's going on with Euodia and Syntyche. And so um, we don't know what the disagreement was about. Paul does not even address it. Um, everyone kind of agrees, all the scholars agree, that it was not a theological issue. Because if it was, Paul usually corrects those. So in Corinthians, he does that several times. In Ephesians, he does that. In Galatians, he really does that. Where if there's a theological issue at hand, he addresses it. Now, can you imagine um, your Euodia? And you're Syntyche, and you're in this little church in Philippi, and, and the reason that he's doing this is they believe that it had caused enough of a squirmish to where people are having to decide. They're having to choose sides. And so you know how that works in churches. It could be just something as small as, you know, I don't know why we're using that upstairs classroom. I hate that upstairs classroom. I've got some, I've got some uh, allergy issues. And why are they making us use that upstairs? I mean, that could be it, right? And now the next thing you know, this small group turns into that. We've got a text thread going about my allergies is what, what prompted this. But really, uh, now we've turned it into this thing. And so th- this, this group of people, can you believe that? I'm wanting to try to do this other thing. I mean, it could be something so small. Something so little, and then it gets people in a frenzy and divided. And it happens so easily in churches. Um, it happens everywhere, but why would it happen in churches? And so, Sintiki and Euodia, um, they had some sort of following. They, they believed they were probably leaders in the church, some type of leadership role, and where well, they were just very influential, maybe. And so, that they, they had divided this church. And Paul was concerned so much so that it was, you know, the, the two things that, that he brought out. Can you imagine being those two ladies? And now here comes uh, Epaphroditus. He comes back from Paul, and you're great to hear all the news about Paul. And then he mentions you by name. But he mentions you by name to kind of correct and rebuke you out loud. And so that would be like, oh, God, I got mentioned in the Bible. Thanks a lot. Um, And so Satan uses this type of division repeatedly. Um, Throughout the, the letter, Paul has had this theme of be of the same mind. Be in unity in Christ, right? We've heard that repeatedly. Be of the same mind. And so he says to them, I entreat you, Euodia, and I entreat Sintiki, um, to agree in the Lord. Be of the same mind. Agree in the Lord. You don't have to agree on the things that you're arguing about. You don't have to agree on these things that you're different. You have differences, but you can still be united in the Lord. And as Christians and churches, we don't do this very well. We do not do this very well in many times, and Satan uses this. So think through, Paul's point here is, we, we must have love and unity in Christ, even though we have different views. And look where we're at in November, and it's already starting up into a, uh, the political discussions, all the political stuff that's going on, um, the politics. I've heard Democrat believers, so people that would say, I vote Democrat. I've heard Democrats say, there's no way that you could be a Christian and be a Republican with all their greedy corporate abuses, with their lack of compassion for God's heart on justice issues and mercy issues, and a lack of concern for their moral ethics, you could not be a Christian and be a Democrat. I mean, be a Republican. I've heard Republicans say the same thing. No way you could be a Christian be a Democrat with all their liberal agendas, their views on abortion, with their lack of concern for moral ethics. So, so both going... You couldn't be a Republican and be a part of our church because of how horrible you are on your moral, moral ethics. Then other churches, you couldn't be a Democrat and be a part of our body with all your lack of moral ethics. And Paul's going, hey, I don't know where Euodia and Syntyche stood on their politics stuff, but even things you dif- disagree on, have differences on, can we not come together at the foot of the cross? Do we not have that in common? Are you remembering how much you've been forgiven? You can still have differences and different opinions and different stances. So that's just on the politics end. Um, what about on um, the, the economy? National and international issues. We would have all kinds of different views on, on economy and, and the international situations going on with China, the international situation is going on with Russia, the, the international situation is going on with Mexico and the border, Right? Man, and the media plays on this and pol- politicians, you know, like they could, here's what's crazy on a, on a big screen beside this politician, they could have this split screen. They could have one half of the screen showing them like stealing money from a bank or like beating kids or something on one half of the screen. And then on the other set they're standing there going like, I promise you, I am a very good person. And you're like, hold it, we're watching the other situation. And then if people ask them questions, they don't answer about the other part, right? They won't answer. They're like, well, here's my stance on military. Here's my stance on the border. Here's my stance on the economy. And you're like, hold it. All this horrible stuff's going on and you are they're, they're playing this game, right? And so... Paul's going, hey, we can have different views and different stances on all these things, but we need to be united in the Lord. Our unity is in the Lord. It's not on those things. Can't we have different stances and still love and have unity? Um, In some church, um, when when you're going through these things, uh, even mentioning the subject or the category gets gets our our blood kind of pumping. Politics, um, um, the economy, national, international issues— Um, racial understanding and justice. Um, Paul's point is the cross of Christ overrules even when we have strong preferences. We can have our strong preferences, but we don't disassociate with believers and, and can't have unity and can't go to the same church and can't love each other. We want to help bring change to why people, to how people view Christianity in the local church and Jesus, and we can't do that if we're acting just like the ones who are out on social media and, and just just as mean as attacking as everyone else in the world. It could be on health and science, as the pandemic brought up all kinds of things. Um, it could be about worship, right? There, there's churches that worship wars. Um, it's parenting practices, right? Um, End times, there's churches that split and have fights and people leave because maybe the pastor, he's just literally, you know, like either two things. Number one, you better give more money. You better give more money. You better give more. And I'm telling you, I've got the secrets to the end times and we're almost there. So you better give more money. You better prove it to Jesus right here at the end. You know, and so there's guys that do that. And the church is like, what are you talking about? We don't know that's going to happen. Why, why are this push for just money or, or why is this all we're focusing on? We, we need help in all these other reasons. You're not talking about these other things, but just the end times. And now if you disagree with me, you're completely wrong. All the way to, and let's go to the other end, to, to the beginning. Like all the different views, I was shocked in seminary, Well, I thought there was two or three different views of uh, the creation account and creation beliefs. There's like 16 or sixteen conservative ones that are accepted in, in very fundamental places. Like, and so some of them you're like, oh man, that completely makes sense. And you read the next one, oh, that one completely makes sense. And yet we would fight and argue in the church. Um, over so many of these things the idea is if it is if you don't agree with me on all of these we shouldn't attend the church together and what we don't realize is that many 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 people they've dropped out because they're sick of that in the church they see it on the news media they see it on the news at night they see it in all kinds of blogs and articles and that's all there and now they go into the church and guess what they go into small group they go into church and that's what people want to bring up hey did you hear about this did you hear about this did you hear about this? It's natural to have conversations, but when it leads to division instead of unities, Paul's going, Hey, you odia, you're missing it. If you can't talk about those things and you get along and love each other, talk about the Lord. Talk about the cross. Talk about forgiveness and reconciliation. Talk about the mission of Christ right in front of you. Talk about what Jesus has done in your life. Haven't you been forgiven much? And it's so easy. To, our flesh wants to be drawn towards those things. We consume media that's only affirming our stance, right? You probably don't go looking for other things. If you do happen to come on something that disagrees with your stance, then what do we do? That's stupid. That's, that's exactly why I don't believe that. That's stupid idiot. And they, they go into that kind of stuff. And, and then we go back to our 1,000 articles that agree with my, my affirming stance. Well, it's not only us looking for affirming things, Media consumes and tracks us now, right? Everyone knows and everyone admits that. It knows. It's the algorithm. You're the product. It attracts us down affirming my stance. Um, And again, people have left the church. They're saying tons of that 40 or 50 or 60 million that are outside the church, a lot of them have said, over 10 million have said, I'm sick of the church not being a place of peace and unity anymore. It's a place where all those battles that go on outside in the culture, it's going on inside the church. And we see that. Um, so Paul says, hey, you odious, ticky, man, agree in the Lord, the things that we can look to in the Lord. Um, then he says in verse three, and I ask you also, true companion, and no one knows who this is, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of the, my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul has no doubt that they're believers. Their names are clearly in the book of life. Clement, he's, he's, he's mentioned in a good way. So there, Clement actually was, uh, there was a well-known Clement that was over the church of, um, uh, of Philippi for a while, and no, I'm sorry, the church in Rome. So Clement was in Rome, and there. And in fact, so I think a couple of the different people that have uh, Bibles that have extra books in it than ours, Clement is one of the books that's in those Bibles that we say, it's not inspired god's word but um that but a lot of people use clement's letters and so he was actually in rome and so um with this he's saying hey these women they have they have been um true companions in the gospel try to help bring unity so we don't even know who this person is um but paul knows that they're truly believers what what if we as disciples of christ if we say we're a believer what if we were able to have unity while we still have different views and disagreements Well, we have different stances and we have different um, preferences, but we still held to loving unity, a place where we didn't have to choose sides. Um, What would that speak to the world? So Paul has this plea for for these ladies. Can't we have unity in Christ and lay some of those? Those are like fourth and fifth level things. Um, We don't have to let that divide us when the thing that we have in common is Christ and what he's done for us. So he goes on to this famous part that most people have have known. Uh, A lot of you may have um, uh, memorized this in verses 4 through 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. And it's connected even through that context of them. But instead of that, instead of having these fights and arguments and letting those things divide you, have unity and rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. So he, he repeats it. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. So notice it's Paul's repeated command. He does it twice. And so this is not our common day self-esteem gospel that's very popular. That It's about like you just having the mental ability, the mental capacity to think really good thoughts. And so it's like the five habits of highly joyful people. This is not that. This is not blind optimism. Just like, just rejoice in the Lord. And you probably know some people like that. Uh, I've been going through some incredibly horrific times before, like just dregs of life, like loss of life, loss of life, loss of mother, loss of baby. And I literally had a couple of people like, man, Sink, you just need to choose joy, man. You just need to choose joy. I was thinking like, hey, and you flip out when you don't have, you know, your your bank account goes over under, under $10,000. You flip out to me or or when you're, you know, whatever uh, has a little bit of problem. And we've lost a baby. We've lost my mom. We've lost a grandma. We've had lost family. We've had all that. And, and, and like, It's over a little four-month period, all that happens. And they're, hey, you just need to choose joy. You just need to choose joy. Man, joy is a gift from the Lord also. We need to be pursuing it, but it's in the Lord. It's not in those circumstances. It's not in those situations. And so um, rejoice in the Lord. It's not just this positive mindset, this this blind optimism. Um, Paul's point is rejoicing is completely found in the Lord. And remember, he's repeatedly said this, have this mindset among you. Have this type of mind among you. Have this mind which is yours in Christ. We can truly rejoice and have true joy in the Lord, in the Lord, when it doesn't make sense and we're not even having to fake it. So I've been around churches also that people that it's just a fake. And you know that things are horrific, and they just like and what's going on in the head, and they've been told sometimes at church, is like, to be godly, you just have to act like, well, we're just happy. My dad got killed in a car crash. And so, but we're just joy in the Lord, just for joy. And like, no, no, no. There's grieving. That's okay also. And so it's not this fake optimism. It's not this fake spirituality. No, there's times. And still, in the dregs, when you're on your hands and knees or laying on the floor in tears for a couple of hours, there can be joy found in that. You you can feel the power of his hand as you're laying flat and your life is laid out and things are horrible, you, you don't have to go to the place of despair where there's no God in sight. And that's what Paul's bringing out here. Um, And so Paul has repeatedly done this. I didn't put all the scriptures up here, but in Philippians, he has, uh, he's repeatedly gone to this aspect of joy and rejoicing. So if you want to write these down, uh, these are the d- different sections that Paul's talked about, this joy and rejoicing. Uh, it's Philippians 1.4 and then one eighteen. And then verse 25, and then in chapter 2, verses 2, verse 16, verse 17, verse 18, uh, 228, and then chapters 3, it's been verse 1, verse 3, and then now here in 4 1. So this theme, and some, in fact, some of the commentaries, they, they would say you know, the joy is just the entire theme of the whole book. I don't quite go that far, but Paul definitely is, is trying to uh, get them to understand and have a viewpoint of gratefulness and thankfulness and joy. And so then he says this, This this is, part, this is the part that's skipped over a lot of times. Paul makes this connection in his mind, and, and I think, and everyone, a lot of scholars agree that this is tied back to Euodia and Syntyche. So when he goes from that t- situation of, hey, you ladies need to have unity and drop the arguing, it's causing divisiveness, um, this argumentable spirit. So he goes, let your gentleness be known to everyone because the Lord's at hand. So gentleness, he gives a reminder as followers of Christ. We should have and be known by humility, meekness. And here he's speaking about this word gentleness. It should be character traits that everyone experiences from us. The person who struggles with unity, if you struggle with unity, it's probably a person who cannot see things from other people's perspective, who thinks everything is black and white, who struggles with fear. So if I struggle with fear and I can't see from anyone else's perspective, I get angry. You ever notice that? So if you, if you haven't made those connections, those are heart like biblical counseling things. If there's fear here, there's usually anger is the thing that's going to come out anger. And, and you think it's like, well, it's because they're not doing what I'm expecting them to. Well, that's probably part of it, but there's probably a little bit of a fear attached to it. If things don't go my way, if, if this doesn't go what I'm expecting it to go, fear happens. It's a feeling of loss of control, loss of power. So I get angry is the mask that we kind of put on. Um, the person who struggles with gentleness, they're going to struggle with unity as well. And, and Paul makes that connection. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'm saying rejoice, euodia, sentiki. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And so, like, so that's just a difficulty. Um, you've probably been around people that that they struggle with the idea of gentleness. It, it's a person who lets the Lord fight their battles, his or her battles. They they're free to let go of anxieties. I mean, we, we could go into a whole plethora of things that we do this. And I'll mention a couple of those. But are you a person who's given to transforming gentleness? um, Or would, would harshness describe you? And guys, y'all have probably been around this, but we have been around so many people who, uh, uh, I've got different things here that, that, that were, um, they were so proud of how much they knew, so spiritual knowledge, but they were really harsh with people. Um, they were really proud of what all they do and they don't do, their lists that I'm always mentioning. They're proud that you, you can ask them something and they don't answer your question. They answer with part of their list. Well, we do this, we do that. And they're, they're very proud spiritually of what they do, their list of things, but they're just harsh and rude. Um, they're very proud of how much they know, they're very proud of how much they give or how much they serve. Some people that, that comes out of, but they're just harsh. What, what their family or parenting practices are, and yet. They may be as mean as a snake, known for their harshness. They're, they're, some people are even proud of their rough edges. They're like a porcupine and they love sticking you every once in a while. And you get it, you know, you get the you get the poke every once. In a while, you're like, oh, okay, I, I get it. You know, but man, they're they're proud. They and they probably are judging you on all kinds of things as such a uh, inferior spiritual person. He says, let your gentleness be known to everyone. And now let's add all this together. If we're a person that, a believer who's not very gentle, who struggles with gentleness, who struggles with um, unity, who struggles with being very defensive and argumentative, who who then is not good with unity, and then throw into that setting that, that in our culture right now, being offended is your number one pastime. Like, it's encouraged to be offended, right? Like, you can be offended on everything. And, and then we have all of these things that we're divided on, these polar opposites in everything, in every kind of culture, in every kind of category, the culture wars that are going on, and they're new daily. Can you see how that destroys the type of love and unity that Paul's talking about, that Christ died for, the type of environment that we should be having? Um, the reason we can rejoice in difficulty and treat people with gentleness is because the Lord is near keep that perspective. He's, he's present. If I lived and I was real frustrated with all you guys, and I had fear, and I had to control all these things, it was very controlling, and so I'm harsh and angry about it. If I keep the reminder and keep reminding myself, the Lord is near. First of all, he, 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 he reconciled me to himself. Why am I not living in reconciliation and peace with these people? He's a peaceful, loving, gentle Lord that could be judgmental, but he's not. Why can't I just have peace with these people? He's coming back soon. Another reason, the Lord is near. His, 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 he's not only coming back soon, but also he, he's also promised that his spirit will help us in areas that I don't feel like that I can be nice to them. I want to be just myself and my default mode is harshness or anger. And No, no the Lord, I, I feel like being angry to them right now. I feel like being harsh to them right now. You guys have probably had people that, that sometimes it takes time where you've been hurt and hurt and hurt and hurt. And I'm not talking about like things you just got offended at. Like truth, there's like you know, physical evidences of major things. You guys know I've worked in counseling area. I've had, I've had young people who have been physically and sexually abused repeatedly. Not a couple accident times that they would the parents would say or something. But I'm talking 10, 20, 30, 50, 80, 100 times over these times. And you know what they do? They come to Christ in their 20s and they go back and pursue that dad or mom. Hey, I, I want to be reconciled. There's forgiveness there. You beat the crap out of mom. You beat the crap out of us. Christ has changed everything. Dad, I love you. I want you in my life. Um, that, that's crazy. Who could do that? Only the power of God. The Lord is near. And if God can do that with people that have been through those type of abuses, can't we do it over a couple of issues on a voting thing or a couple of issues on the way they parent versus you or what they choose to do with their kids or what they, you know, what different perspective that they have on something? Can't we have unity? And that's what Paul's getting across to them. Just a beautiful picture. Instead of allowing disagreements and disunity and choosing sides and harshness and arguments to define Christianity in the church, let joy and unity and love and grace be the marks that we're known by because the Lord is present. And you're acting like he's not. And you're acting like he's not changing you. And then he flows right. And so do you see how this fits perfectly into so don't you have to, so, so you don't have to be anxious about anything. When he goes into the next section, the third area there, peace from God is available. In verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all your thinking and understanding. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So um, that third point is that peace from God is available. So pray instead of worrying. Um, Again, this is a verse that many people have memorized. Uh, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Now the with thanksgiving, like I'm good with all the rest of it. The with thanksgiving, you know what that does? It takes away your right to whine and to complain in between the time that you start praying about it and whatever God does to action. If you just go on whining, complaining, whining, complaining, God's going, no, your, your heart's not really believing. You're not being changed and transformed by that. You're not believing I'm going to do that. You're not believing I'm good in that. You're, you're, you're still holding on to what it would be better if you were God. You're not content. And so you don't have to live in those ways. You don't have to be um, disunified. You, you could be praying there. Um, do not be anxious. Do not worry. Now, first of all, notice it's a command. Uh, it's a command from God not to worry. So God, in his love, even protects us and guides, and he, this is formational. He's forming us by commanding us not to worry, when we, by default, like to worry. And so you may be a person that, that truly, maybe you're a person who really doesn't struggle that much with worry and anxiety, but a lot of people in the church do, and they don't recognize it. So we've got to define, what do we mean by here by anxiety and worry? Um, it's an important section and we need to understand what our culture worries and gets so anxious about and we need to kind of understand that it's also kind of the water that we swim in so easily um, anxious and, and worry for some thoughts so first um, there's different types the first one is, is is a type where it's just the immediate fight or flight of danger now this is what the bible will call prudence um, you don't take your kid and you know let them run out into the street, you know, where, where cars are coming around and you see, see them like, Hey, you got to learn how to do this. Like that, that's not real wise. Right. And so, um, there's a natural, if you get into a situation and you're out camping and there's a bear, you don't just go like, well, in the name of the Lord, you know, do not worry about anything. No, you probably run. Like, even though the rule says don't run, you're probably going to run. Right. Like I would, uh, the screaming thing. I think he would just see me as a big Oreo. You know, like you see those people I'm like, I don't know that I'd have um, the guts to just stand there like, scream back at the bear. I'm like, in half a second, like you'd probably have a voice like that doesn't work with me. I'm coming after you. And so now option B plan, uh, running. And so, Fight or flight, that's not the type of anxiety and fear he's talking. If you get in a situation, it's a dangerous situation, like you know, a car situation, car wreck, or a dangerous situation, that fight or flight, that's not this anxiety and fear. That's not the time. of like, well, I'm just going to you know, just sit here and do this. That's not what he's talking about as sin. Also, secondly, another type is, is the true physiological cellular type of chemical imbalance in the brain, where the uptake in the brain, so it's mental health psychology was my degree, and so studying how those things work. People have that in the same way they have diabetes, the same way they have all kinds of heart issues, and they have different things. That's not a sin. That's a physiological thing. Now, tied to that, if... Those chemicals aren't flowing in the brain that way, and I'm just a worrisome person and always worried, worried, worried. That causes, that affects the physiological. Your thinking and your heart motives affect the physiological. But I'm talking about a person that just has um, depression as uh, a physiological cellular situation or anxiety. Those are not necessarily a sinful thing unless what's motivating that is the, the type of view you have on life. Um, so and that's the third one. The third one is what Paul's talking about. It's a sinful state where our thinking our busyness, our minds and our actions are consumed with fear and worry and anxiety. It could be in, in lots of different categories. Um, a type of irrational fears that we've become passive to, um, rationalizing the irrational fears. So uh, phobias, if you have different types of phobias, um, those are those are some things that you don't have to be scared of. Um, uh, irrational fears. I have friends, that, you know, they can't do elevators or they can't do uh, different, different types of... Uh, travel. They can't, uh, they're afraid of going into the ocean. They're afraid of going into the mountains. They're afraid of going to this. And so different phobias, um, those are, can usually be treated um, with some biblical understanding, understanding the sovereignty of God, um, and also maybe actually some, some meds and also some counsel. So those phobias can be um, defeated. Um, but they, when it gets to the state of beginning to interfere with normal life, um, that, that's, that's not a good spot, and that, that can be sin. Um, a type of approval-seeking or fear of man that leads to all sorts of behaviors of pretending and performing. So my looks, my weight, uh, my beauty, my body image, my clothes, my stuff, our culture is consumed by it. And if I get up thinking that, man, if I'm thinking more as I'm getting up in the morning, staring in the mirror and thinking, like, man, I've got to work out these six days a week, and I've got to do these things, and, and my kids are needing help, but I'm thinking about this and this because my body and all this. And, well, we've got this thing coming up, and I really want to look this way, and I've got to buy all these clothes, and I've got to get this. And, and if all that's consuming you, and, 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 and your life can't go on with like, making disciples and loving your family, there's a problem there, right? And, and, and our culture Spends more on that than they do on the spiritual, and so that's a type of approval-seeking fear of man that leads to all sorts of things. Um, and we know people like this with a hyper focus, uh, fixating on those variables. It, it's it's okay if you want to paint the barn, if you want to diet, exercise, Botox, but but twenty Botox a month and you start looking like a duck billed platypus. I think somebody loving in your your small group needs to go, hey hey, d- just talk, like let's l- let's slow down a little bit, pump the brakes, like. It's okay to take a shot, but like to, to do 40 of them this month, and like we don't know you know, where your lips or your eyebrows are right now. Like, hey, what's going on at the heart level? Oh, people are, you know, I always thought I had little lips when I was 13. Okay, you're 13-year-old, you're 50 now, and that's defining your life. And it happens, like it happens all the time. Um, and it's not just um, out in Hollywood. Um, we know things like this, and so people need to know um, that that is not resting in the sovereignty of God. That's when it crosses over to sin. Uh, for, for you younger kids, um, the, my, my popularity, my friend circle, my impressive abilities, my intelligence, my success, if, if it's anything, the reason that that one kid, when the ball is two feet away from them and someone tosses it two feet away and they, they do this and they can't juggle it, you're not a superstar awesome snowflake because you're, you can catch it and spin around like Odell Beckham. Like that's just, they happen to be not, not good at that thing. They may be really intelligent in math and science. They may be phenomenal in history. They may be phenomenal artistically, musically. Um, so when we start judging people and then we grow out of teen years and we're into adults and I only hang out with people that, that fit with me, that's just an immaturity. And that's a fear based on fear of man and all those things. And so um, our popularity, our friend circles. And Then there's a type of overemphasized desire for controlling variables, stemming from a fear of loss of control. So again, biblical counseling, this is like 101. Um, it could be with your jobs, it could be with your work, it could be our income, could be our retirement, could be our savings. It um, could be kids' behaviors. Uh, wouldn't it be great if there's just a switch with kids? It's just a switch, just maybe just one to 18 years old, you know, like a little switch that when, when you're in church, out to eat, Different places, they can just switch to this kind of robot, docile, quiet, still, smiling child, you know, that, that you switch that switch on. And then, of course, you know, we're good parents, so we turn the switch off when they get home. We want them to be creative and happy and uh, go lucky and then like, hit the switch when they get a little bit out of control. Control, um, and, and, and people would, would probably say, yeah, I'd love to have that switch. Also, control all, controlling all of their choices, limiting all their choices, limiting all interactions. Now, Again, when I bring up those things, prudence says as a parent, part of your job is to have good, the flip side of this is prudence and discernment and trust. We don't drop them over a fence at the lion's exhibit at the zoo uh, because baby snowflake wants to pet the lion, right? Like that's not good parenting. Um, We don't get them to spend the night with people that we have no idea what those families are like. We don't let them uh, drink Mountain Dew and Starburst at 10.30 at night so they can watch Friday the 13th. The idea is, Um, control, making all the decisions for them, limiting any outside factors, limiting all these things that my family might would enjoy, but we we want to think through, am am I trusting and resting in the sovereignty of God to allow us to do things, or am I trying to fearfully control everything? And inside the church, there's not a lot of connection sometimes on the biblical heart issue of control, fear, and how that does away with truly trusting. We are supposed to be a people, and you kids need to understand that. As parents, you're, one day if you have children, you're going to have to have rules for your household. You're gonna have expectations of the the morals that your kids live out. And so I tell my boys all the time, I cannot force you, and I will not force you to be a follower of Christ. But but there are certain expectations that that we have, and sometimes they break some of those, and it could be embarrassing. I, I don't worry about what all these people think of it, and so they're going to do some things that you know it, it could embarrass you. Uh, but but but. We, I, I say, hey! I can't force you to do that. I'm telling you that it's the only way to life, and the other path is horrifically painful. And it may not seem like it; it maybe just a fluff path with all kinds of, you know, bonuses. It looks like, but I'm telling you, it leads to destruction. But but following Christ is difficult. It's costly. It's hard. Um, it's consequential. And so as, as parents, we want to be wise on that, and we, we want to have a trust in God, but we also, uh, it doesn't mean that you don't have guidelines or you don't have rules for your house or lists or expectations for moral behavior. It does not mean that you're in this um, category of anxiety and fear. If you do have those, that's wisdom and prudence and a desire for holiness. But are you resting and trusting in those instead of Jesus? Um, uh, is it deceiving you? And so that's where the church struggles. That, that, so remember what I went back to, the harshness? Instead of being gentle, we've been around a lot where it's, it's just the, the control factors and all these things and this harshness and, and now it's these lists and control of fear and anger is what comes out. And Paul's going, hey, you odious and ticky. I feel like that, that's part of what's going on there. Why is it there not gentleness? Why isn't there resting in the Lord? Trust in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It's lifting your gaze up instead of these little bitty details. So as citizens of heaven, We have that opportunity as allegiance to our king and his kingdom. Um, So um, those are just some beautiful things that he brings out there. Um, The sin in that is a lack of trust in God. I want to be clear there. So on that anxiety, there's a confusing aspect. And the reason I'm saying this is I've counseled a lot of people who come to me and they're like, well, um... Feel like I'm really sinning. I'm sinning bad. And the thing, and they they weren't even dealing with worry or anxiety in those ways, and not trusting God. But they had been told somewhere that if if they ever got in a situation, and they you know, they, and they, they, and immediately there some fear rose up, a, a dangerous situation. I was like, no, 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 that that that's not sin at all. But they had been told that. And so, um, if but at the same time, then there's a whole bunch of people here who blindly are living in fear and and anxiety and all their thoughts are about uh, this and this and then the future. We've got to worry, 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 and, and we can't even be present because we're so worried about all these things. And it and it comes down to our families and our decisions. And again, there's prudence that we want to have, but we, we can't rest in our lists. We're, we're, we're using prudence and wisdom, but we're trusting in the Lord. Um, all kinds of things. Um, you guys have probably seen um, I have it happen all the time, where we're in this circle where it just happens to pop up. Uh, another parent says, um, "Hey, yeah, are you doing this with, with your son on this? You, you all taking him to this special training and this special training and this special training?" And I'm just like, "Are you kidding me? Like I, we we can't afford even one of those, much less three times a week." Uh, I have guys around me who are doing 150 a week, two or three times a week, 150, 300, 450 a week for a special trainer, fifth grade. Sixth grade. I just think that, man, that's a little exuberant, uh, over exuberant. Like a little bit of Sovereignty of God says, if it's in the cards, first of all, the kid's going to have to desire that to play at that level one day. It's going to come out in like junior and senior year, right? Uh, it doesn't come out in sixth grade, it doesn't come out in fifth grade. And so I have people telling me, like, if you don't do that, if you don't have your kid in this, you don't have your kid in this, it can be academically the same thing. Um, Here's what happens. Do you realize that this is formative in your spiritual life? Um, God is transforming us to love like he does exist. He does see, he does care, he is powerful. God is transforming us to think like he does exist, he does see, he does care, he is powerful. He's transforming us to act like and live like he does exist, he does care. Worry, anxiety, and fear are not good for your soul um and when they become the drivers of your decision making it's even worse anxiety and fear are not supposed to be there in the first place and now when they move into central instead of the lord that's when there's things that we need to get a hold of um so um beautiful thing there that he gives us is that the peace of god is available so pray um it's resting in the providence and, and, and sovereignty of God. And so this peace with God is our reconciliation with God. Um, Jesus bought that for us through his death as, as God God uh, allowed him to go through the suffering on the cross. And then he affirmed, my, my wrath was put away. And here's the proof of that, the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection is God's stamp of approval saying, my wrath was appeased. And so we have an opportunity for the peace of God that transcends all. All understanding. If you're like me, you probably get into situations and you think, if God were to do this and you start praying, here's three or four options. If I were God, here's what I would do in this. And then sometimes he does nothing like that. He does nothing like you thought how he was going to use it. And he goes to this place of, he he pulls stuff out of left field or answers it in a completely different way. And and it brings about some peace that's there. And so it's peace that surpasses all understanding. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 um, we talk about with the boys a lot, but just that idea of trust in the Lord with all your heart, lead not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And that's a beautiful life verse just to tuck away and to think through. When you start feeling those fears and anxieties. And so, what are the things that you tend to worry about? What are you anxious about? What if we as the people of God in times so troubling we're able to show that we have this peace of God? Um, Instead of worry and anxiety and fear, we were able to live and experience the peace of God and communicate that to others. And so now he closes up this area, going beyond the peace of God, an experiential, subjective thing that we have, to an objective thing that he goes, not only can you have the peace of God, this experiential thing, but there's an object, the God of peace, that if you live this way, trust this way, if you walk in this type of way, the God of peace, it will be evidential in your life. And so he says, the follower of Christ who who heeds those words above and begins to pray in that way will experience the peace of God. But something much greater is the God of peace. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Um, So just a beautiful picture there the love and intimacy that's sought after. You cannot have the peace of God without having the God of peace. Um, We can get to the place where we're not just enjoying the peace provided, but you love the person of God who gave that peace. We don't want to worship peace. We want to worship the God of peace who brings that. And so there's this place where we can get to to where we're not just experiencing peace now, but actually it's moved on to, I'm thankful for that, but I'm thankful for you. So, if, so think through when you, when you maybe if before you got married, or if you're not married now, thinking of that person that, that, that's finally gonna be the object that God brings into your life. And so that you have this idea of what love is. You have this idea of how, how rewarding and satisfying love is going to be this experiential idea of love. After you get married, is that what you're still in love with? Or is it the person that God brought in? It's the person. Now, granted, sometimes you get in those situations and you're like, man, this is a different view. And God answered this in a different way, right? And so um, uh, the idea is the person, the object of love, that's who you're in love with now. Not the idea of love still, right? And so you're getting the ripple effects of that because of what God, the person that God's brought in your life. The same thing here. The God of peace is the one that brings in, um, that, that brings those ripple effects of that. And so now you're in love with God, not just the idea of peace. And Paul said, if you live this way, following in the way that you've seen, what you've heard me teach, well, the things that you've heard me teach about the gospel, about God, the things I've heard, you've heard me um, live out, that you've watched me live out, the things that you've seen in my life and heard from me, man, live this way and the God of peace will be present with you. So um, you cannot have the peace of God without the God of peace. Um, So in closing, just thinking through, man, what a gift the Lord gives us in this little section. It's already a very rewarding place, and most people look to this section as a place to go to when things get difficult. But beyond that, first of all, just the peace of God beyond all understanding. And then secondly, that he gives himself, the God of peace. The God of peace, he brings peace and joy. So just what a a beautiful gift that he gives us in this. He gives us himself is what Paul is trying to communicate. And how timely as we head into Advent season, peace, joy, his presence, just those reminders. And and do you have um, those things that we would be talking about in our lives, our community, the world? um, It needs a faithful gospel presence with this message. Um, A lot of people are wondering right now, is this the the end of the end? Is this the second Advent? Um, Many... Um, are dreading the the next year with all the wars going on, with an election year, and we can be a people with the God of peace and the peace of God. Um, We can be a people. And so I'd ask you, do you have that peace of God and do you have the God of peace? Let me pray.